Dear friends, grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God, our Creator, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ, who continues to astonish us and teach us his grace. Amen. Why did Simon the Pharisee invite Jesus to dinner? Did he want to have a conversation to create a dialogue with this young rabbi? Or was he hoping for an opportunity among the other invited guests to put Jesus on the spot or even to put Jesus in his place? What's really interesting here is that Simon, the host, does not set the tone for the evening or he loses control of what's happening at his own dinner party. And neither does Jesus set the tone. In this case, it is the uninvited, unnamed woman identified only as a sinner, whatever that means. It is she who sets the scene. And Jesus allows her to be the subject while he is the object or recipient of her hospitality and care. The looks of shock among the invited, invited guests and the protest of Simon himself do not keep her from doing what she has come to do. You see, the way of the Pharisees was to follow the letter of the law. There is a proper way to do everything, including how you function at a dinner with invited guests. And this woman is perceived by Simon, rightly, to be a terrible disruption. She crosses several boundaries, including touching a man in public. Notice she was not a wayward member of the family who simply made a mistake. She was identified as a sinner, an outcast, and she certainly had no business being in that home on that particular day. But Jesus, who has himself been known to cause disruption, sees her quite differently. And he does not discourage her from doing what she has come to do, which of course raises the level of tension in the room. This is a teachable moment for Jesus. Or perhaps a better way to say it is, it is a learnable moment for the Pharisees and the other guests. Let me share with you a learnable moment, no, several learnable moments for me. And as I share this story, I hope it will help you think of some learnable or teachable moments of your own. And I, I say that because I'm going to ask someone to share one if, you, if someone is willing to do that, and I won't require that, but I would like if someone is willing to share a teachable or learnable moment inspired by this story from Luke and maybe helped along a little bit by the story that I'm going to share. I think it's really important that we, as people of God, start to interact more on the ways in which we experience God working in the world. So I just want to just plant that seed, and I'll ask about it later. When he walked down the street, all the neighborhood kids ran and hid. He scared the bejeebers out of them. 
He didn't really walk. It was more of a strut. And he always had an angry look on his face. He was in his early 20s. He was about six foot five and weighed about 275 pounds. He wore blue jeans with sneakers tied only halfway up, basketball shoes, high tops. But the truly intimidating feature of his wardrobe was the old stained sport coat that he wore with nothing underneath it. I wasn't particularly afraid of him myself, but I could understand why little kids might be. The scowl on his face surely didn't help matters. I didn't know his name. I didn't know his name, even though he lived in my neighborhood. I didn't know his name until he showed up for worship one Sunday morning. I was the pastor of a congregation just a few blocks from where we lived in that same neighborhood and on the north side of Milwaukee. I stuck out my hand. He didn't take it. I asked him his name. He told me his name was Trent. Then he asked me if he was a bad person because he thought about killing a cat. And I thought, oh, brother, here we go. <laughs> Sunday morning, though. Sunday morning. I got someone to keep an eye on him during worship. And then after the service, I went with him to the psychiatric hospital where a doctor assured me that he was harmless. Fortunately, there were a few hospitable folks in that congregation who would run interference between him and the little kids that he would terrorize by his very presence and anyone else who might be put off by his obsession with cats. He was an interesting person. That first Sunday morning at the beginning of the worship service, it was our practice for me to stand in front of the congregation and to do the announcements at the beginning of the service, and then it was a small enough group of people that I could ask, are there any other announcements? And people would sh occasionally share. Usually there weren't any. But then Trent raised his hand, which wasn't required, by the way. You didn't have to raise your hand. And he said with a very anxious tone, are there any cops here? Are there any cops here? Another time, my wife had come into the church a couple of hours before worship to practice the organ. The, the door to the church hadn't latched behind her, and pretty soon, Trent was standing up there in the choir loft asking her about the cats. He was standing between her and the door, though she did say that she thought of hurling herself over the balcony at one moment. Instead, Nancy very calmly told him that I was coming over soon and that I was really looking forward to seeing him that day and that he should go wait for me outside. He did. The door locked this time. And sure enough, he was there to greet me when I arrived. Looking back, I'm pretty sure that Trent had a mild form of autism that was untreated and a very dysfunctional home life. He truly was harmless, a very gentle man. But he was also disruptive. 
and he didn't communicate very well. And there was a need for some loving containment on the part of the faith community. He created the opportunity for the practice of radical hospitality, something that churches talk a lot about but often don't have the opportunity to actually practice. Like the woman who just showed up and began to wash Jesus' feet with her hair, Trent just showed up out of nowhere. Or like the woman who herself was a teacher or one whose very presence allowed for a teachable moment. There was teaching and learning going as we interacted with Trent. Can anybody think, anybody be willing to share a teachable or learnable moment when you experienced God's grace in a surprising way? It could be disturbing, but maybe later you reflected on it and saw the power of that moment. Anybody want to share a, a learnable moment like that? Yeah, please. See if I can get you a mic. Yeah. I mean, sometimes those things are just that small and seemingly insignificant, but when they, then you hear that, you realize what a difference it makes to actually be willing to interact with people. Anyone else? I'll talk to you out in the hallway. Maybe you'll have something to share. Or better yet, don't tell me. Tell somebody else. I think, I think it's really powerful when communities begin to share stories about what happens out in the world, you know, and what happens in our daily lives that's really significant. So thank you for sharing that, and thanks to others for, for thinking about that as well. When the woman shows up in this story from the Gospel of Luke, she immediately becomes the center of attention because she is so out of place, and her behavior makes everybody uncomfortable. When Simon protests Jesus responds himself with a story. Often that's how Jesus responded to questions, right? Or protests, is to tell a story, non-anxiously. You don't like what's happening here? Well, let me tell you a story. And the story ends with a question. And the answer to the question is obvious. The person who has the most to be forgiven for will be the most grateful. Think about that. When you hear the words of absolution some Sunday, you come in here, maybe something really rough has happened to you that previous week, and then you hear those words of absolution, and they hit you, they affect you a different way that particular week than they may have when it was just a, a week where there was nothing really significant that happened or 
anything that you felt significantly guilty about. The uninvited guest who demonstrates kindness and hospitality to Jesus is in need of forgiveness for what we do not know. We don't know what she did. And Jesus willingly offers it, freely offers it, which of course leads to another controversy, and that is they ask, by what authority, Jesus, do you forgive sins, by the way? Something only God can do. When Trent showed up, he made many people in the congregation uncomfortable. And the fact that he wore no shirt under his sport coat didn't help. <laughs> his very presence forced our congregation to ask whether the banner that hung over the door was true that all are welcome here. There was no explicit teaching about forgiveness with Trent. Trent was no more of a sinner than any other person who gathered for worship. But there was an opportunity to reflect on what it means to experience acceptance, to offer it and to receive it. I don't even think Trent was fully aware of what he was receiving as he came to worship. But he must, he must have experienced belonging because he kept coming back. And his presence impacted the community in some powerful, powerful ways. My friends, the message becomes pretty straightforward. God's forgiveness and acceptance expressed by Jesus and experienced by us all in a variety of ways cannot be contained by social and cultural boundaries and expectations. It's something we continue to learn. Amen.